0: Relay Time Studios and the Real, I'm Mark Olson. And we're here this week to talk about the action spectacle of the week Deadpool 2. And um, I'm joined here by my colleagues. Travel Anderson, still searching for more Wakanda and everything.
1: <laughs> You're not going to find it in Deadpool 2. <laughs> this is Jenya Mod.
0: And now, as we were just getting ready, I I believe the industry phrase is off mic. You guys were telling me the circumstances under which you saw the film Deadpool 2, and I think if part of the real is, you know, what we're doing here with this podcast is trying to let some of our readers and listeners know kind of the day-to-day nuts and bolts of how this stuff happens, I think the circumstances under which you saw this film is perhaps of interest.
1: Travell and I were at the same screening at the Century City Mall, completely packed, probably about... A third press people and critics and the rest filled with extremely hyped Deadpool fans, including one young gentleman wearing a complete Deadpool costume. It was this
2: black guy he had on the whole outfit. His eyes were even like he had like white contacts in, I guess it was, to like give you the entire look. It was... It was a moment.
1: He went all the way. And I got to say, it did make it interesting. It does make it interesting when you got a room full of fans to watch the movie with. The young lady, probably in her 20s, sitting right behind me, kept kicking the chairs of everybody I was sitting with. But it seemed to be involuntary. She kept kicking the chairs. Like in
2: reaction to what was on in screen? In
1: reaction, or maybe also because she was extremely drunk at 1.30 p.m. on a well, listen, Thursday. get your life, honey. Okay. She would uh, exclaim at every reference that she recognized in the movie, and there are a lot of them. She would just <laughs> she was one of those people who would just say the reference. Ah. Mm. Uh, like, just right. say it, right. like in, like compulsively. And then I'd turn around, she'd be making out with her boyfriend. Anyway, at the end of Deadpool 2, she really enjoyed herself, and she just started hi- high-fiving everybody around her. And then I watched as she walked down the steps of the AMC Century City, across the theater, on her way out, and walked straight into another human being because she was so drunk. So I guess that's one way to enjoy Deadpool 2.
2: It's an event movie, apparently. You go, get drunk have some food, make
0: out. Hopefully you remember it after. Make an afternoon of it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so, Jen, maybe to back up a little bit, the first Deadpool picture was kind of a surprise success, but also had had this, like, sort of extreme long tail of promotion, like a really long drumbeat kind of building up to it. With Ryan Reynolds, a producer on the picture, this time he also was a co-writer on the movie and, of course, the movie's star. What is it about the character of Deadpool that you think audiences responded to, but also why does Ryan Reynolds have such an affinity for Deadpool? They seem like a good match.
1: They're a really good match. The first Deadpool, which came out in 2016, was a real passion project for Ryan Reynolds. It's a character he's played many times for 20th Century Fox now to varying degrees of success. If you've seen the Hugh Jackman Wolverine movies, which the Deadpool movies totally skewer. The character is really fun. It's a Marvel creation by uh, Rob Liefeld. And it's one of the few Marvel characters that, or really characters in any sort of creative universe, that knows he's a character. That knows he's this sort of side character left out of the main action, left out of the main franchises. He's bitter. He's annoying. He's, like, foul-mouthed. And he hates himself a little. So he's kind of, I mean, he's hes the, the superhero who's just like the rest of us, which is part of the charm of it. The first movie was self-reflexive, self-aware, broke the fourth wall a lot. You'd have these really fun, very gory action battles unfold. And then Deadpool would pause the action and directly address the audience and comment on what was happening. So it really shook up the superhero genre. We've seen so many very serious superhero movies. Not just serious in tone like the DC movies, but like seriously, Marvel movies are very earnest. They don't ever comment on themselves. They don't really push boundaries. And the first Deadpool sort of blew all of that up. They kind of took this risk that they could take because what did they have to lose by trying it? And you're ta- you spoke about the, the long tail of marketing. It was this underdog project for so long that Ryan Reynolds and other people tried to get made for years, and they made test footage that the studio wasn't, like, very high on. That test footage leaked, and the public, the fans, went crazy, and that helped get the first movie made. So now here we are, two years later, Deadpool 2, and it's, you know, it's going to make money. It's... But is, it, is it here? that
0: it's uh, diminishing returns? Is it more of the same? Like In relation to the energy and what felt so special about the first Deadpool, where does sort of Deadpool 2 sit in relation to that? And simply the fact they couldn't even come up with a, a better title than just Deadpool 2.
1: I kind of respect that they just went with 2. My One of my problems with this movie is that, unlike many great sequels, Terminator 2, Aliens, for example, Tokyo Drift of the Fast and Furious franchise. Deadpool 2 kind of just rehashes a lot of the same terrain, a lot of the same leaning into the surprise emotionality inside this like this very bitter antihero. You get a lot of the same jokes, a lot of the same kind of jokes, a lot of the same kind of gags. So it doesn't really push the boundaries as much as the first movie did. Um, it kind of just gives you more of what people responded to, which you could say is fan service. But formally, it's not daring as the first movie.
0: Travell, I don't know your experience. Have you seen the... First I did not movie? see the
2: first one, but I felt compelled to see the second one because of how much energy was around it. One thing I remember, I was covering Box Office at the time, and one of the things that I remember was that the marketing for the film was very different. They were using, like, the poop emoji and, like, the skull mm-hmm. emoji mm-hmm. in ways that I don't, I don't think we had seen up to that point. And so I was interested in seeing, you know, what all of the, the energy was about around this superhero guy who who curses. I did not hate the movie <laughs> i did not like it and i felt like I, know, I was reminded you know like those old school like jackie chan and like bruce lee jet lee type movies with like the very like gross and graphic action-y type things but they didn't seem to serve a purpose it seems like just because like i'm going to show you i'm chopping off somebody's head just because i can
1: Jackie um, Chan has never done
2: that. No, he has not. <laughs> um, but it just seemed it just seemed not purposeful to me. I did really enjoy Zazie um, as Domino. I thought she was great. She is great. I love oh. seeing her in this very different role than what we know her doing on Donald Glover's show Atlanta on FX. And so yeah, but aside from her, I mean, I guess Josh Brolin as a, a another <laughs> his,
0: uh, his second superhero villain turn in like three weeks of, the, of yeah
1: his, his second Marvel universe villain. He's getting these checks, and I don't hate it. It's really funny. At first, I was like, okay, Josh Brolin playing Cable, that's cool, because like I'm a child who grew up in the 90s watching, reading X-Men. So Cable's very much like a touchstone character, just like Gambit, which they're trying to turn into a movie starring Channing Tatum. So he's a known character, but seeing Josh Brolin in Deadpool 2... After seeing Josh Brolin in Infinity War, did make me think that it was like more and more a stroke of genius to cast to double cast him in this Marvel universe. How come? Well, after you see Infinity War, no spoilers here. We've already spoiled all that, so don't. Did yeah, we did
2: a whole episode.
1: Oh, okay. Well, you know what I mean. It <laughs> it kind of opens up the idea of multiple timelines, multiple realities. And so it's kind of fun to think of Josh Brolin in his own cinematic universe within the Marvel Cinematic Universe now playing cable coming back from the future to um, hunt down Deadpool and his new sidekick Russell who's played by the great kid who actor who's in Hunt for the Wilder People.
0: Oh John Dennison
1: Julian Julian, Julian Dennison who's really great and this is his first Hollywood move and I really love him. he's got such energy and charisma. And again, makes a Tupac reference.
0: I know one of the things that was so notable with Josh Brolin's turn as Thanos in Infinity War was he brought this very unexpected sort of like humanity and Mm -hmm. emotional resonance to this monster supervillain character. And does the same thing happen here? Like is there an emotional resonance to Cable that would be sort of even a new thing in the Deadpool universe? There is.
2: There's some heart to this character that I think some people might see as a potential villain, I guess, in a way. Like, he's got a very specific purpose for why he comes back, and then he ends up having a heart in some way, and I don't want to spoil it, but like... Well,
0: let's go ahead and... Maybe we'll just say, spoiler alert. Like, well, like I, I would rather I, you guys ha- do the talk than worry about spoilers.
1: I don't think we should spoil it. I don't think we okay. need to spoil I'll just say it.
2: this. I'll say that he, he has a heart, and he does um, some activity that you may not expect him to do because, in a way, he ends up sacrificing himself by doing said activity. And that's something that I didn't expect with the way they set up the character in the beginning of the film. Yeah. And I think that's something that is very reminiscent of Josh Brolin's character, Thanos, in uh, Infinity War. It's, like, it's a surprise, at least for me as a viewer, who's not familiar with these worlds, to see that complexity in that type of character.
1: Yeah, Brolin brings uh, a lot of really, I think, knowing humor to what is written as a humorless <laughs> character. In the world of Deadpool... A world that is constantly, like, commenting on itself and knows that you know that it knows that you are watching it. Having a humorless character who, like, as Cable is, is in itself, like, really funny. It's a good contrast to Deadpool. And Brolin is, like, super jacked, and he wears a fanny pack, and he has a little teddy bear with him. So there's a lot of, like, fun juxtapositions of, like, Different shades of masculinity just in his character alone. I think his chemistry with Ryan Reynolds is pretty fun. But to go back to what Chevelle says, Zazie beats. Is amazing. I think she's the Thank standout of God the movie for, for me her. personally.
2: She, yeah. and, I, and I don't know if that's because I, I wasn't familiar with anything that she's done outside of Atlanta. But, like, she brings the comedicness. She brings kind of the physicality that the role kind of uh, requires. Um, her she's, and Terry Crews, they do something for me in the film that I
0: yeah. wasn't expecting. Tell me a little bit about her character of domino like who is domino in the movie
1: domino is also a a recognizable character from the x-men marvel comics they describe her in the movie as like a superhero whose superpower is she's lucky and (laughs) zazie beats plays it so perfectly she's such a welcome breath of fresh air in a movie that can be extremely exhausting depending on how much patience you have for ryan reynolds constantly motor mouthing and being like extremely annoying And she centers the movie she liked for me every time she's on screen. And she's in it more than a lot of other people are.
2: She is, which I was surprised about to be quite honest but I like it 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 kept me wanting more like when she was on screen she pulls attention away from everyone so beautifully and then when she's not there you want to know why isn't she
0: on screen what is she doing Mm -hmm. well I've continually gotten a kick out of it as I've been uh, watching Atlanta the recent season of, of the show Atlanta that every time, like, there are commercials, and they- it seems like they've even cut commercials to be broadcast during Atlanta that really features Zazie for Deadpool 2, and then also really featuring Donald Glover for solo Star Wars story. I have gotten such a kick at the fact that what Atlanta still feels like this very sort of, like, subversive show, and to see what you know are going to be two of the biggest commercial movies of this month, this season— And to see them having these two stars from the show is just, as to me, at least felt really exciting.
2: Yeah, and I I think people are excited about both films for that reason. Because both roles and the films kind of take... Those people, Donna Glover and, and Zazie Beats, outside of this world that we we know them in Atlanta. And it gives them the chance to kind of flex their muscles and see what they can do in this space where you have a much bigger budget. And there's stunts and there's, you know, gags and all this other stuff.
1: Yeah, I have friends who are going to see Deadpool 2 just for Zazie Beats. And I know people, I mean, obviously, look at the Internet. People will see Solo just for right. Donald's Lando.
0: And now, Jen, you mentioned Ryan Reynolds and his performance in the film. It can be a bit exhausting. Tell me if you think that the first film was almost too successful in the sense of all superhero movies now are self-conscious and self-aware and that even... Infinity War which in some ways is like the you know the mother of all superhero movies there was a lot of self-referential humor and commentary in that Mm -hmm. so in Deadpool 2 are they struggling to sort of like still have that feel fresh and unique because of the fact that it's now sort of like the accepted coin of the realm
1: I think that's an interesting problem that Deadpool 2 does run into in the two years since the first movie came out the superhero landscape around Deadpool has changed it has become smarter it has become more self-referential You have, like, Captain America and Iron Man, like, joking about each other and, like, in the Marvel universe. And so what seemed so crazily fresh in the first Deadpool movie it's not as revolutionary now and that, again that brings me back to one of the things that i that disappointed me about Deadpool 2 is that after the promise of what they did in Deadpool 1 which by the way earned two golden globe nominations including a nomination for Ryan Reynolds performance as best uh, his acting performance I wanted more from Deadpool 2. I do think it's hard once you sort of tear down walls so well to keep the momentum going, to push further in the same, with the same sort of scope, to achieve as much subversion as you did the first time around. So, Deadpool 2 is a lot of the same. It's Maybe that's the why same it's a lot of the
2: same. It's because it's like when you've done so great and you've surprised people so much. What more is there left? Why not just play into what the fans yeah. are already interested in? Because well, remember our screening, yeah. there was a lot of people in that screening who seemed to very much enjoy oh, yeah, they totally what was did. on screen. They did. And so maybe it's just us, you know, industry people who are like I'm jaded. I want to be pushed more. I'm
1: so jaded. I wanted more. I and it's I wanted more because I think there is more that can be done. And Deadpool and the the filmmakers making Deadpool Are the only people in the studio superhero space who are even trying to do that. So maybe I pinned all of my hopes on Deadpool and to like roast to burn the superhero genre to the ground so it can rebuild it anew. Um,
0: but now tell me about what I think is one of your favorite parts of the movie and something that what maybe where they did oh. find a new twist on the thing they had done before. <laughs> the opening credits of the first film were the actual, like, text of the credits was very comical and the things that they had said. And I think they sort of found a new twist uh, this time around in sort of a more of the same, the same Are but different. Are you
1: referring to my extreme love for Celine Dion? I could be. <laughs> Celine Dion it, uh, sings the theme song to Deadpool 2 and I could not be happier about it. I think it is the ballsiest thing that this movie does and the the most surprising thing that it does in a movie that's a lot of the same and a lot that didn't surprise me. Somehow convincing Celine Dion to sing your theme song to Deadpool is just like my favorite thing about it. And, you know, I think we mentioned earlier that, that Deadpool has a very savvy social media campaign, the first movie did as well. And they're doing a lot for the second movie, but releasing a Celine Dion music video with Deadpool dancing behind her last week was like the thing that made me sit up in my chair and go, Okay, I'm in Thrill Me Deadpool too. And I just like I like to picture. And indeed, when writing my review quite a bit of Celine Dion fanfic that did not make it into the final cut.
0: <laughs> I wonder why. Another character in the movie that we sort of need to be sure to talk about a little bit, or maybe more specifically talk about the actor playing that character, in that Deadpool's sort of real-world sidekick, minder, helper, assistant is played by the actor T.J. Miller, who has, over the course of time, really since the first Deadpool movie came out, become an incredibly problematic figure. He left the television show Silicon Valley. He's become something of an internet troll slash bete noir. And there have been some people who've even called for him to be replaced from this movie. How do the two of you feel about the simple fact that he's in the movie? Like, is it distracting to you? Like, every time he comes on screen, do you not really think about it Like what, what, once the movie's rolling? I
2: didn't personally think about kind of the, the real world implications of, of who T.J. Miller is while I was watching the film. That being said, there have been a number of people that I've seen online, for example, who continue to believe that, like, you know, he should be stripped from these films. Same thing with with Ready Player One and Steven Spielberg and the character he played there, which was primarily an audio-based character. He still wasn't stripped from the film, despite a number of activities and actions that people have deemed to be problematic or concerning to women, to people of color, etc.
1: Right. In Ready Player One, he voiced a CGI character. And here he plays the same human character that he plays in the first Deadpool, who is this, like, mercenary bartender who kind of helps Deadpool from time to time and also very dryly comments on what's going on. I don't know. I think it's an interesting question in general. Like, what do we do with problematic faves in every arena?
0: Right. But in some ways, I'm not even talking about T.J. Miller as a problematic fave. I mean, in some ways, the thing—to me, the closest parallel is thinking about Kevin Spacey and Baby Driver. The movie Baby Driver came out, the actor Kevin Spacey was in it, and— That was that. And then he became problematic and you can't suddenly take him out of the movie that wasn't even possible. You know, I mean, obviously he was taking out of all the money in the world. But so I think someone to me like T.J. Miller's presence in this movie is similar in some ways to Spacey in, in Baby Driver, where you sort of almost just have to put this like parentheses around him or just sort of like somehow allow yourself as a viewer to have the mental space to sort of like set him your issues with him aside while watching the larger movie.
2: But his his role in the film is, at least to me, it's minor. Like it's not it's not unnecessary. They could have cut him out altogether, to be honest. And I think the movie would have still been fine. Deadpool but, has
1: like twenty sidekicks.
2: Right, but you know his role is not consequential to the movie, so therefore he's not necessary in any of the promotions. So I think it it made it easier for the studio in, in terms of that decision at least.
1: Yeah, in terms of this, this studio and this movie making easy decisions because they're not being pressed on it, I would like to bring up a thing that has plagued me throughout the Deadpool sort of lead up to release, which is that so few journalists who have been given the opportunity to interview or talk to the producers or director David Leitch previously known for directing Atomic Blonde and John Wick, so few journalists have asked them to comment significantly on the death of a stuntwoman who died during the making of this movie last year, doubling for Zazie Beetz in Vancouver, Saquana Harris, and there's a very, very brief acknowledgement of her at the very end credits of Deadpool, like literally right before the, the lights would come up in the theater, in memory of Saquana Harris, also known as S.J. Harris. And to me, that's just irresponsible in a way, but also nobody has seemingly held the studio or the filmmakers to any further commentary on this. And to me, it's much more glaring. To me, it's much more newsworthy and more important to talk about because David Leach is so celebrated for his work in action. As a former stunt professional, choreographer turned director, he's really celebrated for as this like stunt god now. And the opening credits, which in the same jokey style as the first Deadpool movie, the opening credits of Deadpool two take a lot of liberty, like poking fun at the movie itself. But it says directed by one of the guys who killed the dog in John Wick, which would be funny if this. Production didn't also involve the death of a real life person. Right. And to me, that's something that the filmmakers should have answered more to.
2: But it, it would appear to me as if they think that they've, one, answered all the questions that they need to answer when the death occurred last year, and then that, two, they gave her a, uh, you know, in memory of at the end of the movie. But I think you're right. There, there should be more questions about at least how this impacts the production, how this impacted the film. Like, did they take out the scenes? Which I think we can assume that they did take out the scene that they were trying to, yeah, to assume, make. Yeah,
1: I assume they did because um, I believe Harris reportedly died while performing stunt on a motorcycle. Right. And we don't see Zazie Beats on a motorcycle in that convoy scene, for example, right? in Deadpool 2.
0: Well, Jen, for you, what are the kind of questions you would want to hear answered or the sort of accountability you feel the filmmaker should be held to in this release period of the movie as opposed to whatever they may have said or statements they may have made when the incident occurred.
1: Well, uh, to me, accountability does not have, like, a better time now or another time. I think that they need to be asked those questions because I can understand why a filmmaker or producer or director would not voluntarily dive into this thing and want to. the studio wouldn't want to remind the public that um, a a life was lost.
0: But the questions you want answered
1: are
2: what? I would be interested in, if I could jump in, is during the initial fallout of this, there was so much talk about how Joy, SJ, perhaps wasn't the most qualified because they were trying to find a race and gender match for Zazie. And so it's using diversity and inclusion as a scapegoat for why this woman died. That's how I see it, at least. And I think that's cowardice, and I think that's highly problematic so i would want more clarification about what exactly was the problem why did she die why was you know and there's a conversation also to be had about the stunt woman stunt person world in terms of diversity and opportunity and inclusion and having people who are quote-unquote qualified to do these types of roles that's something i would like to hear them talk about
1: yeah, I, and I think that goes back to how did this happen? What happened? What are the circumstances that led to this horrible, tragic accident that can be prevented from happening again on, you know, a similar scale in the studio system? Or, you know, in indie productions where this has happened very um, visibly, most notably in the Midnight Rider case a few years ago. I think whenever onset safety issues become fatal, it is a responsibility that Hollywood has to engage in a dialogue about how these things happened, how they can be prevented. And honestly, as a, this like big stunk guy, I just would like to hear David Leach explain even how like he should, I assume, he would have insight into how, like, a stunt department would work. Right. Maybe he has more insights, as Travel says, into the conditions, the either onset or in the industry that led to her hiring, that led to this accident. Any opinion on what the state of inclusion in the stunt community right. is? You know, like, literally anything. I've heard so little from these filmmakers.
0: But do you think this gets to what sometimes becomes kind of the larger? issue. It's funny, maybe a month or so ago, our colleague Sonia Kaley had been at a press conference and she had called the assembled journalists the audience. And some other journalists got upset by this because they thought it implied that they were there as, you know, spectators and sort of fans as opposed to kind of working journalists. And I think this gets to in some ways that often, especially with these sort of more fan-centric action movies, the dynamic between journalists and the production the sort of object under consideration it's like it always takes on this very celebratory sheen and so if there is something difficult to talk about like it becomes hard to ask the hard questions because it's like you're ruining the party somehow and do you think that this i mean in some ways the larger issues around deadpool 2 are things that it's just nobody wants to be like the spoil sport or be the jerk to like ask the jerky question
1: I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, the reality of any, like, big blockbuster junket situation is that most questions are softball questions in, like, a press conference scenario. I didn't hear that story about whatever movie that was, and it delights me because Mm -hmm. it's so accurate.
2: Infinity War
1: was the movie. Yes, it's so accurate, especially at Disney press junkets where they have so many journalists. Yeah. So many journalists who have so many different kinds of, like— Objectives that it becomes really hard to squeeze in a question of substance. Sometimes I remember at the Doctor Strange junket, I was waiting for so long to be called on a press conference to ask about whitewashing. Girl, and they were not call on you. They was like, "Nah, and we know what she. We know what they her did not to call be. on me. In fact, and instead they called on journalists who asked like Benedict Cumberbatch about how he like learned all the hand choreography to make his little wizard fingers." was it so, at the yeah
0: was it at the SAG Awards, Travel I remember where, when we were in Sundance, there was an awards ceremony yes. where yeah, exactly. a journalist of color yeah. asked an actor of color a question that kind of involved everybody else in the room. And right. it, was, it was one of those things that was sort of like really just tore the curtain down of like what the sort of performative show aspect of what was supposedly this journalistic mm-hmm. enterprise, mm-hmm. but was really everybody kind of being on the same side of the stage. Yeah, her name
2: is Jalisa Lachey. She was with Black Tree TV which is kind of like a urban blog, if you will. And she asked Sterling K. Brown about the lack of black and brown journalists basically in the room and when he's doing his job and what type of responsibility celebrities had, particularly black celebrities had in that conversation about access and things like that. And he basically said that he didn't even realize that it was a problem. But I think that contributes to what Jen is saying about certain types of people being in these rooms, having certain types of perspectives and objectives and how that impacts the types of questions we see asked of these celebrities, whether it be writers, directors, producers, or the stars of these films.
1: Yeah, and uh, I remember when Jalisa Lachey asked that. I wasn't in the room at the, the moment, but I was there that night, and when I heard that I missed her standing up and, and asking this question, I was so upset because I would have cheered for her on the spot mm-hmm. for asking a real question about inclusion in media, which people hardly ever ask. But, you know, it's hard to blame other reporters for asking the questions that they need to ask for, right, for, for, their, their, beats, outlets, for their For their outlets, for their clicks. Yeah. I'm just disappointed sometimes when I feel like there's an obvious question or topic that has directly to do with the making of a movie, for example, that nobody asked.
2: I honestly think a lot of us just forgot. Like, even, even you know, I forgot that that happened. And so perhaps that's just us just doing more of our research and keeping things in mind about what's happening. But you're probably right. I feel like it was, for the people who are covering this film, I feel like it was something in the back of their heads that they knew that they perhaps just... Decided not to ask because it's Ryan Reynolds and Zazzy Beats and it, it's also fabulous looking. I feel like sometimes they don't need a person to, to take down, you know, this energy that's in this room. I don't know. Yeah. I ask and the look,
1: questions. I'm not exempt from this either. There are plenty of times when I have probably definitely missed opportunities to right. ask hard questions. So I'm not castigating the rest of the journalistic core, but I just wish, I wish we had that dialogue, that particular piece of the making of this film out there in the conversation, simultaneous to people praising it and talking about every other aspect of it.
0: Well, I think uh, we are going to try to keep those kind of conversations and those questions in our minds as we're moving forward. And uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Now, please tell everybody where they can find you there on the internet, Uh, Travell, I'm at Travell Anderson on the Twitters.
1: I'm at at Jen And
0: with that, for LA Times Studio and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening.